Blog Talk Radio. And thank you for joining us on Three Women, Three Ways. We're the show that tackles some pretty significant um, topics regarding violence against women and uh, what we used to call women's issues. My daughter repeatedly tells me that those are not women's issues. Those are human being issues. And I agree in theory, but in reality, I think that we still refer to them as women's issues. Um, I have a really significant guest with me today, and uh, we are talking about uh, the media. Everybody knows the impact that the media has, but do, does everybody think about how that impacts, how they report, can impact um, how we think about certain topics? I have um, a very important guest with me today. It is uh, Anne Simonton. She is the founder of uh, Media Watch, and she is also, she has quite a history of feminism and uh, uh, working for change. She started out as a model, and she was a top fashion model, and uh, she kind of had an epiphany at one point in her career and decided that she wanted to uh, expose some of the consequences of corporate-owned media. Welcome, Anne. Thank you for being here. Hi, thanks. Glad to be here. Yeah. Thank you. Um, it fascinated me that you had been on the cover of Sports Illustrated. You'd been one of the, the cover babes, right? Cover babe. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, I, I, in, in a way, it did. Um, it, it's helped me uh, open doors and help people start to understand that this isn't about individuals having sour grape. Did we lose you, Anne? Oh, Anne, I think we lost you. Did something get unplugged? Uh-oh. Um, we have lost Anne. Hopefully she'll call right back. And uh, what she was going to say is that the uh, the um, kind of name recognition that she had um, allowed her to uh, make some points that if she had just been uh, a name that nobody had heard, um, it wouldn't have, have gone like that. She might not have gotten as much attention. And if you Google Anne Simonton or Media Watch, you'll see a little bit more about her history and uh, what she has done in her life. She's uh, uh, been quite the um, demonstrator. She's been quite the the uh, person who um, tackles some of these issues and brings attention to them. Uh, one of the things that struck me when I was researching her is that, um, remember, who was it? I, I guess it was... Uh, Oh, I don't know who the 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 uh, media person was, the singer who wore a meat suit um, not too long ago or a meat dress a couple of years ago. Well, actually, Ann Simonton had done that 25 years ago to bring attention to one of the issues that she that she deals with, and um, she's just got a, a great background in media and uh, on both sides of the issue. Um, here we go with Ann again. Okay, here Hi I am. Hi, Anne. Are you back? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I I, lost, technology but... is always such a wonder, isn't it? Um, yeah. I just was talking about some of your activist background, and uh, who was it that wore the meat suit a couple years ago, or meat dress, and everybody got all that... in the lather? Lady Gaga, wasn't it? Oh, well, I, think... I, I was wearing meat suits long before Lady Gaga. <laughs> That's what I was saying. Yeah, long, long before Lady Gaga, um, yeah. to make some points. Um, why did you decide to take this route, to take this direction in your career? Was was there an epiphany? Was there um, just a, a gradual change or opening up of your your views? Tell us how you decided to go this route and create Media Watch. Well, I came to an understanding of much of my existence in the industry taught me a lot of important lessons, but I started to understand that I was a part of a kind of this huge machine that contributes to violence against women by telling the world that women are just things and property and objects. And clearly I was a part of that. 
I don't believe that, you know, we are, you know, that it it's not without consequence. And so I had to take myself out of that. And why in particular was because um, actually I've been writing about it, about Eileen Ford's death, because I was working for Eileen Ford when I was gang raped. And it was a time uh, I was actually on a job in the middle of the day. And um, there was, it was very difficult for people to even talk about it in 1971 when I was gang raped. Mm-hmm. I was also on the cover of Seventeen magazine, and it, it was uh, a situation I think that really woke me up in the sense of understanding how little, you know, how little women have in terms of access to justice in terms of the law. I was told I needed a witness in order to prosecute. I had what yeah. I thought was a positive ID uh, on one of the, the three assailants. It's you know it's it woke me up to the need for change and social change, and so that's what I've dedicated my life to because I don't think any human being should have to go through what I went through. Well, that certainly um, you know is fortunate for us that you took this turn uh, under such unfortunate circumstances. But it hel- has helped us. Your activity, I think, has helped us understand more about the media to bring attention to it. We were talking off the air and about um, a, a slideshow, a brief slideshow that uh, Women's E News, a, a website that I've referred to many times, and a website that I highly recommend to everyone. Women's E News. Um, they actually did a brief slideshow that's available to people um, on a New York Times article. And this article, uh, they kind of tore it apart in four sections to show how the media reports um, these kinds of incidents and to show how they could do it better. If you'd like to join our conversation, it is 646-378-0400. That's 646-378-0430. If you have a story or thought you'd like to share with us, please give us a call. Now, this slideshow from Women's E! News is pretty simple. They took an article from the New York Times in, um, I guess it was 2006, and uh, they kind of dissect that very briefly, but enough to show us what's going on here. And and I would like to share that with our listeners. And um, it is called "Man Kills Wife, Shoots Self." And how many times do we see those headlines? And where, you know, that that's kind of a scenario, a common scenario for our media. And the headline sounds accurate enough: "Man sh- uh, shoots, kills wife, and then he shoots himself." We see that a lot, unfortunately. So. Um, What we're going to do is we're going to just briefly read the article. One, uh, let's see, where did I go here? I mean, it's interesting. One thing, I mean, you want to just read the article, or I think what's important is it goes to number three, which is talking about the crucial detail is that Mm -hmm. women are at the highest risk of being murdered immediately after the separation. Yeah, and all the stories that you read. It uh, doesn't point that out. It's there. They all act. The, the, all of these stories are kind of like shocked that you know she was trying to leave him and he killed her. You know, let's exactly. dis- dissect and it just like Women's E News did. This is uh, part one of of the article. A Brooklyn mother of two was killed yesterday afternoon while accepting a housewarming gift when her newly estranged husband rushed up and shot her with a shotgun he had hidden up his sleeve. The police and witnesses said he then reloaded and shot himself to death. The woman, identified by friends as Karen Skellis, 44, an administrative worker at Lutheran Medical Center, had just days ago moved into an apartment at, and they give the address, having left her husband, um, uh, Iona Skellis, 49, with plans to divorce him, said a co-worker. Uh, the co-worker dropped by to deliver a housewarming gift shortly before 1 p.m. yesterday and watched in horror as a man wearing a hooded sweatshirt approached and shot Mrs. Skellis. Now, what's wrong with that? I mean, that's very, very typical of what we always read in these situations. But as you pointed out, Anne, what's missing here is the crucial detail that women are at the highest risk to be murdered immediately after separation from a spouse or partner. 
that's when they have their highest risk. So, you know, they kind of bury this in that first part of the article. And you might ask, well, how can they throw that in without sounding preachy? You know, they're just reporting the, the, the situation. They're not reporting, you know, the causes behind it. And, yeah, that's true. But as we go on, I think you can see um, how they could get that crucial detail in there. Part two is the police said there was no history of domestic violence between the two. Friends described Mr. Skellis as a construction worker who enjoyed hunting. He did not appear to have a criminal record, police said yesterday. The owner of a nearby deli, gave her name, blah, 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 said Mr. Skellis came in most, most days for his favorite chewing gum and yesterday also bought a loaf of Italian bread, displaying no sign of what to come. And this is the key that always just raises my hackles during news stories. He's such a nice person. Nothing trouble like a happy family, describing Mr. and Mrs. Skellis every time, quiet, and he smiled. So they often do this in news stories. First thing they do is go run and find a neighbor to praise the perpetrator. Um, you know, obviously, he was not such a nice person. He killed his wife, you know. Uh, but they always give this impression that nobody saw this coming. The assailant was just a regular guy. Um, he was a nice person. Um, they always say that, don't they? They always find a neighbor to talk about how wonderful he was. Yes, and they often mention her uh, with much less detail than they did in this particular article just by calling her a wife. They don't give her yes. a name. They might mention that she had uh, a disability of some sort, that she was, um, you know, they might find some detail about her life that also is dehumanizing in a sense without really uh, maybe a personal thing. Maybe she um, had HIV AIDS or she had maybe spent one month on the streets in her life <laughs> as a homeless woman. Yes. Um, then yeah. they would then call her uh, formally homeless. In some well, way, it's notice already in the story yeah. what they're saying mm -hmm. is, well, she's, she was leaving her husband. She was leaving him, and he was such a nice guy. Right, it gives um, then the reader a sense that he's, you know, he's down and out of luck. He loved his children so much he just couldn't handle it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this goes on. Uh, in part three of the article, um, the owner of Spartan Suvlaki, where Mr. Skellis often came for Greek salads, said Mr. Skellis approached him about four days ago with a hint that there was trouble in the marriage. He came in and asked if I knew any investigators, he said, referring to his friend as everyone did yesterday by the name John. I said, uh, John, I don't know anybody. The next day, Mr. Skellis returned. The owner said, he said, forget about it. I took care of it. I don't need him anymore. No one from the neighborhood seemed to know about the trouble in the marriage. So they're focusing on, on how wonderful this guy was. They not only find one person to praise the perpetrator, they find two to praise him. And they just give him such a kind description. Uh, nobody yeah, in the neighborhood knew about any trouble in the marriage. So here again, we're making that connection that, hmm, she's divorcing this really nice guy. There was no trouble in the marriage. She must just be nuts, right? I think it is, extends also into the way that uh, they're portrayed when they d become what I would call, I don't see why he's not called a mass murderer or a, a serial killer that he stalks the woman and her children and the children or, you know, and then it might maybe they, mm -hmm. he kills the family, he kills the sister-in-law yeah. or, you know, that that it often um, there's there could be, you know, literally bodies littered all around and we're still left with often, sadly, uh, very little information about who these people were, what their, you know, the, the tragedy of their lives gone instead, yes, they often will try to minimize it by saying he had just lost his job, he has no oh, yeah. money, he found out that he was He was worried strapped. about financial, mm -hmm. his financial, that's, you know. That's yeah. often commonly, yeah, something that you, you oh, yeah. hear. And um, well, I here's, think another thing. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I just think yeah. another thing that, um, that they mention, even in, like, uh, any kind of violence against women, is that uh, she's often referred to in a very minimized way. Uh, often the way that we might just say her first name 
like it's generally reserved for children, how you what, how you describe a child, yeah. a woman, or a pet. You just say, oh, her first first name is used, and uh, mm-hmm. it's it's a way to familiarize the the reader with the situation. But then you don't, and he is often the killer. The what could be seen as a mass murderer is not described, uh, you know, with anything other than this bigger detail about where he worked, how he was a nice guy, or he, you know, came out of nowhere, just, you know, whatever. And that's what we've seen so far in the story. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, gosh, she was some sort of, there was something wrong with her because there was no trouble in the marriage that anybody else saw, and yet she was divorcing him, so of course he would be upset, right? But here's the final... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, But here's the final paragraph. Think about this. This is the final paragraph. I happen to have a journalism degree, and we were always taught the inverted pyramid, which means that you put the absolute most critical information in the first paragraph, because most people don't read all the way to the end of a news article. So you put absolutely everything that you can in the beginning, the who, what, when, where, why, and how, and then you can elaborate on it in you know further on in the story but the everybody knows that toward the end of the article you've probably lost all you know most or if not all of your readers this article in the very last paragraph says the co-worker of the woman said he believed mr skillis had threatened violence in the past leading to the separation to my understanding, she was waiting to see his reaction to the divorce if there was going to be a necessity for an order of protection. She had felt threatened in the past. Whoa. All of a sudden, <laughs> wait a minute, this puts us in a completely different light. She felt yeah. threatened. That's why she left. She wasn't just a, a, a weirdo who was taking this wonderful man, you know, taking advantage of this wonderful man and hurting him on purpose. He had threatened her with violence. Why isn't that part of the significant beginning? Yeah. It's and you know and yeah. yet that's the way we read it all the time. This is so typical. Yes, it is. And it's um it's something that we as readers can certainly engage ourselves with by writing a letter to the editor to try to point out uh the bias that's being presented to us. Often it's a matter of education, and it's not one where we want to censor people about this, but we do need to help people become more critical viewers of the media, and that's something that Media Watch does. And so this is something that we try to help people understand how powerful a letter to the editor could be in that situation, where yeah. you point out these biases or these particular, uh, you know, this what, what's really missing, and how the framing of it is so vitally important. I, I don't know if you um, know who Rebecca Solnit is, but she did a great piece on uh, Democracy Now! after the killer in San, in uh, Santa Barbara when he uh, killed those six people and had particularly was targeting women. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's an interesting... It's very important how we frame stories and how stories are then translated into the mass media so that we start thinking, oh, he's just this crazy kid who was, you know, off doing this, you know, he had guns and, you know, rather than kind of, okay, how is this, how are we teaching men to look at women as possessions? Or how are we teaching men and boys to think that, um, that because they're possessions as a wife, that then he has the right to end her life because she's not complying or doing what he told her to do. And yeah, exactly. how 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 do we how do we break that down and create stories that can help really empower all of us and help all of us thrive and meet our human potential because that's what you would hope the news media might be able to start to reflect in a in a more in a better world. But, you know, clearly it well, needs work, but I yes. think it needs work often because it's within a commercial context and that it's biased yes. by the owners, the the products that are being pitched and that, you know, basically, yeah, nobody reads the article any longer. They just want to get to the cut to the quick. I'm, my, yes. I'm very yeah. distracted. I have 10 seconds of ability to <laughs> hold on to a thought. And Yeah, um, yeah exactly. So if you just read yeah. that first paragraph, she sounds like yeah. some sort of wacko bitch that just left this really nice guy for no good reason. 
Right. Um, and, so and that just I heard drove him to the edge. To us. Yeah. And another yeah, thing that's exactly. interesting about the um, reporting of prostitute uh, women who uh, women who are prostitutes and they die, they often don't even have a name. They're just called Jane Doe's. They're thrown in a bag. They're not even often reported as a death, which is interesting in um, the way that we keep records and death records. It's uh, it, it's frightening. Uh, uh, it, there uh, there was a story about a mother who had lost her daughter to the streets, and um, she was a runaway and ended up dead at the hands of of, of her pimp. And uh, you know, it, she investigated and found that 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 she wasn't even seen as human in a sense. And I think that this prejudice extends itself constantly throughout our culture in terms of how we frame very vital information. It's important for us to understand how important the media is because, again, those stories about how addicted we are to that and how our sense of ourselves is being reflected by the media around us, that it's vitally important that this information be more humane, more dignified, more uh, inclusive of of marginalized voices or voices that we don't hear, whether it's you know from a woman who is a prostitute or a woman um, who's homeless or men who are homeless, anybody that is uh, more marginalized in our culture, we tend not to hear from them. We hear from you know this kind of biased um, yeah. idea that's seen as the authority in our culture. So. Yeah. It's something well, and, um, that's, yeah. Uh, I just want to read how Women's E-News rewrote this, because I think then the natural response or the, the, the common response to what we just read, these four sections, is, well, you're asking the media that they're just reporting something outright, they're just giving information, um, you're asking them to bring in information that, that they shouldn't have to in the story. However, the uh, Women's E-News rewrote this, and it's brilliant. So let me just read how they rewrote it. A Brooklyn mother of two was killed yesterday afternoon while accepting a housewarming gift when her newly estranged husband rushed up and shot her with a shotgun he had hidden up his sleeve. The police and witnesses said he then reloaded the gun and shot himself to death. Basically it's the same thing. There's nothing in there that doesn't belong except they've included the fact that her husband was the estranged husband, okay? The woman, identified by friends as blah, 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 an administrative worker at Lutheran Medical Center, had just days ago moved into an apartment at blah, 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 having left her husband with plans to divorce him, said a co-worker, blah, blah, blah. Government statistics indicate that women are most vulnerable of being murdered shortly after separation from their spouse or partner. Mr. Daughtry, a co-worker, said he believed Mr. Skellis had threatened violence in the past, leading to the separation. To my understanding, she was waiting to see his reaction to the divorce. If there was going to be a necessity for an order of protection, she had felt threatened in the past. Police said there was no history of domestic violence between the two. Friends described Mr. Skellis as a construction worker who enjoyed hunting. He did not appear to have a criminal record, police said. Neighbors also said they were unaware of any violence in the household. Now, this is exactly the same information except for that sentence about indicating government statistics indicate that women are most vulnerable when they're trying to leave. Exactly the same information, but in a different order, and it gives a completely different story. It gives a completely yeah, it different... Yeah, and I think I would have even moved the uh, bit about her uh, having been threatened much sooner in the, <laughs> in the article. Yeah. Like almost yeah, as an exactly. introductory paragraph, because, you know, it's like that uh, horrible case of the woman in Florida who shot the ceiling... Uh, three oh. times or something, and then was put in jail for yeah. for twenty five yes. years. And uh, oh it, no, she uh, got yeah, she she got thirty years the first time. Then because of the public fuss, we did a story yeah. on this. We did a show on this. Yeah. And then because yeah. of the public f- uh, fuss, they set aside that trial, and the prosecutor um, went ahead and and uh, scheduled it for another trial, second trial. And this time, the prosecutor was asking for forty years in prison. Yeah. And that's still going on. And <laughs> but they just yeah, kind of tell you how how incredibly important it is that this man had been threatening both herself and her children and their children yeah. with um, violence, and that this has been ongoing. So it's, it's and he it's even admitted it. Mm-hmm. So I mean, yeah. if you get that at the outset, at the very beginning, then you understand. No wonder she moved. No wonder she's trying to get away. 
And that's the thing yeah. that we need as a culture, I think, to create more safe houses. We need to be more aware of what to look for. All of us need to be more trained in terms of active intervention. We often think, oh, it's just a man and his wife. So he's beating yes. her up. Oh, well. And he might even say, oh, it's my wife. And you think, oh, yeah. okay, so I'm not going to intervene. Wait a minute, I'm calling the police because I see you bashing her on the head. And um, yeah. it's an interesting thing how we, as a culture, we need to wake up both in the moment and not just when we're reading things, but when we hear things. Oh, I heard this screaming and this horrible bashing, thrashing thing going on. <laughs> um, yeah. Am I supposed to ignore that, or is it like Kitty Genovese where we just, um, she staggers around being bludgeoned by a knife and everybody hears her, but we're all afraid to stand up and make a an effort to to call, and I think that that's um, it can be done very easily through training. That's what you know. It could have stopped many a gang rape. It could have stopped many a situation in a high school or um, fraternity on college campuses where violence against women is taking place. So that these instances could really stop in the moment because oh wait a minute uh, I heard I saw I'm I'm going to report. I'm going to take it in Absolutely. my own hands and just, you know, be more proactive. I think I think that's uh that's one of the really important things about that. Another uh angle I'd like to kind of talk about too is uh the reporting of differences between men and women in terms of our neuroscience and the um, brain differences. There's an excellent book that Cordelia Fine wrote called Delusions of Gender and she talks about the real science behind the sex differences. So what she basically does is she talks about each one of these stories that gets a lot of press, that gets a lot of media, and uh, she basically shows that for every story that shows there's a sex difference between men's brains and women's brains, um, there's probably 90 uh, research papers and evidence in science that doesn't show that. But the media likes the ones that show the difference because Hey, that's fun and interesting, and um, also proves that you know men are from Mars and women are from Venus or some kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Rather Which than we love, really, we love that phrase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and rather than yeah. we're being extraordinarily similar, and that are you know because we have a different corpus callosum size, even that study is under some scrutiny in terms of like really is that does that always um, is that always the case throughout uh, history? And um, Well, again, let me throw out the uh, phone number. Uh, I think this is such a fascinating uh, topic. Give us a call, 646-378-0430, 646-378-0430, and let us hear your experience or give us your two cents worth. Um, and. In reading the story, and, and I already admitted that I had a journalism degree and worked in the media for quite quite some time, um, we tend to think of ourselves as, as um, or at least we used to think of ourselves as being objective and and out there. Um, with the the role of advocacy journalism, it seems that um, people are, are in the media are more willing to advocate in their news stories than they ever used to be, and yet that doesn't seem to translate into issues about women. Um, what about social media? Social media is written so differently. It's written in little sound bites. Um, it influences tremendously uh, people under a certain age, and I think right now that that age is about 40. Um, these people that grew up with social media, and um, you know, this I've read studies where people, young people especially, will read something in print, like in the New York Times, and then they'll read it on the internet, and they will, in in surveys, they will um, believe that the internet story was the most accurate one, and well, we all know, yeah, mm-hmm. we, all we all know, know. that. Media is not, you know, it's, uh, Internet media is not accurate. You know, I mean, there are some sites that are really good, but, you know, most of them you have to take with a grain of salt. Exactly, but I do believe that people are becoming more astute in their researching, and they know how to find a story that potentially has more reality in it. And I think that it's it's important to understand how biased commercial media like the New York Times might be about certain issues. And so we get, uh, we 
it's important for us to become like sleuths. That's one thing that uh, Media Watch really emphasizes is to help people learn to be critical, learn to uh, deconstruct the messages, try to find information from independent journalists that don't have a tie to a product or a attitude or a, or they're beholden to some um, media owner that is framing their information. So I, I see I see it as a, a, a fantastic kind of thing for people to to use and to start to understand. Let's take for example Elliot Rogers' massacre of the women and and um, bystanders in in uh, Isla Vista recently. This uh, it's, it began a, a twit, Twitter re- revolution called hashtag Yes All Women, and this was in response to the idea that we often hear, well, there may be violence against women, but it's not all men, and we need to remember that. And clearly, women do know that, and women know that it's not all men. And and yet, what men don't seem to understand in this issue is that all women are affected and are live in fear by violence against women and the threat that is over our heads uh, of being hurt or that we're scared, we're we're wondering if something terrible going to happen to us, and that, yes, all women are affected by sexual harassment on the job and that we're affected by sexual harassment on the streets, that we have, uh, that we live a very different life as a result of living in an over-sexualized culture that is not, that is essentially sexually repressed because we, we don't really want to talk about sex with our children. We just give them the, their little phones so they can have, they can look at, uh, really, what is often scatological kind of pornography and imagery that is uh, very, uh, you know, very questionable in terms of the impact that it has, without really warning our kids. Hey, you know, you see that rape video on on pornography. Let me talk to you about that because mm-hmm. we're prudish in exactly. a sense. And so it's an interesting kind of uh, hypocrisy that we think we're so free and we have so much democracy and so many so much access to all this information because we have 500 channels but they're bringing us a very limited viewpoint and so it's important to go online use social media i i love social media and this whole yes hashtag yes all women is a fascinating twitter feed that is really worth reading and to contribute to what happened to you today who said what to you today did you feel like you were uh, dismissed uh, dehumanized? Were you humiliated in public today? What happened to you? You know, <laughs> because yeah, women yeah. have you know maybe ten times we could think that happened, depending on our job, where we work, what we have to do, where where we navigate, how we, much we navigate in the world. And it, it's yeah. uh, it's it, yeah. Go ahead. And and it, it's, I think it's even worse for older women. I mean, older women just become disposable and invisible. Um, I mean, there. It's just, you know, don't get me started. <laughs> yeah. It changes for us as we age, and I think, though, that it um, there's some freeing uh, aspect to that invisibility. And I'm I'm hoping that, you know, potentially these invisible uh, women warriors <laughs> will start to emerge yeah. because, hey, you know, they didn't even notice us. <laughs> yeah, I know. You, I would get know, away I'm, with things, maybe. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm I'm older, and uh, I remember at that stage where I realized nobody looks at me anymore. And then it took me about ten minutes to go. Nobody looks at me anymore. <laughs> this is very freeing. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a good. Yeah, it can I, be, I can there's a good do anything side. I want. And there's nobody looking at me and judging me. You know, it's yeah. it's fine. But but, uh, terms, but it but is. Of, yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I just think in terms of the media framing of media stories that any group that is vilified in our culture, uh, we can almost uh, assuredly see how dehumanized they are in the media and how their stories are not really presented in a way that humanizes them, that helps people understand the background story, the details of their lives, the importance of, of what has happened to them. Uh, there's a story about a Google executive who was uh, a, was a father here in our community in Santa Cruz, and he was 
with a prostitute who had uh, given him a heroin overdose. And whether it was an overdose because she intentionally wanted to do that, I mean, I don't think, it, you know, if you know much about heroin users, they usually don't know the the strength of the dose. There's been a lot of heroin being shipped about that has been extraordinarily strong. Um, you know, we don't know a lot of those details. And it's interesting how she's just been raked over the coals in terms of her who she is. And, you know, this hapless Google exec is uh, somehow married with Victimized five by this hussy. Yeah, yeah terribly yeah. victimized. Yeah, and, and and it's important, I think, for us to, to understand really what does it mean to sell your body in this world and what kind of lives do they live, where do they come from. Statistics show they've often been sexually abused, they're runaways, they are homeless, and yet the media wants to present the ones that, that, that we, we call like a 2% uh, sexually exploited elite <laughs> of the world. Yes. They really have choices. They could go home if they wanted. They're, they're deciding to do lap dancing because they want to see what it's like. They, they can do, they're, they're just playing at it in a sense, uh, just to see what it's like for a while. Or they're a high-class call girl because they have options, really. They, they actually do have choices. The majority yeah. in the sex industry don't, and we need to know that. We need to know how there are panic buttons in every legal brothel, where uh, often they don't have a pillow in the brothel because they're used as murder weapons. And you think, oh. what kind of world are we living in that is uh, saying it's okay to sell hum- humanity? Is it okay to sell me? And, and how is her so-called choice to be in that industry affecting all of us as females, affecting every man, how they view sexuality, how they view us, how what intimacy is even looking like. It brings up a lot of, I think, really important and interesting ideas around who we are uh, in terms of relationship to one another and how we could improve that. Well, and, you know, that whole idea of perfection, which we have so, which our media has so embraced, um, I think that it gives such a false, I mean, it, it's so damaging not only to girls um, who think that they have to be that perfect, and of course they can't be because they don't, we don't walk around in life having been airbrushed before we left home. Um, and uh, the image is also, I think, terribly affecting uh, young men who seem, to, or old men for that matter, who seem to think that any woman who doesn't look like this airbrushed perfection isn't good enough. That they have yeah, to go after somebody who's who's that perfect, and of course, no one is that perfect. Exactly, and it's interesting, I think, because within the modeling industry itself, not just not only myself, but there have been numerous high fashion models who have come forward and acknowledged that this the harms being done to women in the industry and the harm that they feel about themselves in terms of their low self esteem. When I worked, it was extraordinary. These white skinned beauties were supposedly some, you know, ideal in some world that they hated themselves and they were extraordinarily insecure about how they looked, which is because you can't judge a human under a microscope without there being flawed, multi-faceted things happening (laughs) in their life and who they are. And it's, uh, it's it's a sad reality that we have put forth that that fake illusion, and ask people to try to jump through that hoop because it's an it is an impossibility, and even those who are in the industry can't jump through it. And that's one thing I think people need to realize, is that they why would we want to promote an industry of young women who are being taught to hate themselves? And you think, well, nobody really wants to go there. Nobody really wants to think about that self hatred that is. Uh, part and parcel to the beauty industry and yeah. you know we think oh well then you know will you make a lot of money and it, it might be okay but it i don't think it, uh, one thing i came to understand is that no amount of money is worth giving up my dignity and my sense of of my own humanity because i'm not mm-hmm. uh you know a cherry a la mode i mean i'm not this little fluffy thing that somebody's just going to eat <laughs> and throw away or yeah. they're going to 
look at it once and then toss it. Yeah. And, it, you know, my And God forbid you should get a wrinkle, you know. Right. I mean, <laughs> exactly. well, I mean, any flaw, anything that, um, yeah. or simple when you're young or whatever it is that you have that is just part of life. That those things, yeah. it, it's really those those pieces that are our beauty. Those flaws are our uniqueness. And those scars tell our stories. And those uh, are important for us, and that's part of the importance to look to alternative media, independent media, to look to other places to to help frame who we are as humans. And it really can evolve into a deeper sense of intimacy, both with ourselves, our, our children, our, our partners, and a much more successful life in the bigger picture because we aren't playing this uh, empty game that has no winners, really. Nobody wins in that game. And yeah. it's, it, well, you know, it's, yeah. Um, I, I think that we have to add a little caution, and that is um, I have seen so many websites that are not legitimate, that do not help uh, people get another uh, viewpoint. They're, they're very um, sexist or they're very um, uh, skewed one way or the other, and I think we have to learn how to be selective in what we choose to believe when we read it on the Internet. I think we really have to be taught to be selective about that. Um, do you agree right, on and that I, one? I mean, one thing is you don't, you know, anything that's a dot .com, which is sadly our our website is a dot .com, but we've had it since 1984, <laughs> um, that uh, website. So we didn't even really understand the difference back then. <laughs> and uh, dot .org, uh, MediaWatch.org will actually take you to a consortium of MediaWatch groups, of which we are one, uh, but... It's interesting if you look at information coming from .com, you'd be more likely to, to try to go to something that's .org and get a little bit more bona fide information through mm-hmm. uh, it being a nonprofit, that it has some some kind of association with you know ed- other educational sources and that it's recommended by certain groups. You know, all those things yes. can can be taught and they can be things that are just you know easy for people to to start to uh, suss out what is more valid information. Yeah. And I think that one of the best things to do is, yeah, one of the best things to do is to um, have people recommend knowledgeable websites. I'm I'm always giving out, for example, Women's E-News. I mean, it's one of the most comprehensive and well-reported websites that I've ever seen. And, of course, it deals with women and women's uh, conditions all over the world. So I find that it's not only good information, it's very well-written and well-organized information. So I, I, you know, advocate people go to Women's E-News. Um, and the same thing with Liz Library, Liz Library thelizlibrary.com. Um, wonderful. Uh, it, they, they do news, they do uh, research, they do everything that, that can help you learn more about um, interpersonal violence, violence against women, the courts, the, you know. Uh, it's just a really great site. So when I find a good site, I will let people know, you know, that, that this is a, a good site to, to go to. And, um, you know, I, I think that we need to share the, the stuff that's good. And we have a caller. Let's go and see what our caller has to say. Are you there, caller? Oh, hi. Hello. This is Rita. Hi. Oh, hi, Rita. I was just How giving a you? plug. <laughs> <laughs> this is Rita uh, Henley Jensen from Women's E News. Yeah. Hi, Rita. Hi. And uh, I'm just uh, very thrilled, of course, that you're here on the on the station because I've dedicated my life to this issue of, and I don't have the right word, but, you know, um, news equity. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> Just, good. You know, so a fair representation of uh, women's reality, girls' reality in news coverage. So that's all I have to say. <laughs> well, well, well I, I think I, you've done a, a great job of it. Yes, you have. <laughs> And we, we, we need your voice, and we need more w- women like yourself. And there's a great uh, author, also a, a teacher down in the uh, Atlanta area, that wrote a book called News Coverage of Violence Against Women and Gendering Blame. And it's uh, Marion Myers, 
M-E-Y-E-R-S. She's, uh, but she's also uh, dedicated her life to try to you know, create stories and help people become more critical viewers and help deconstruct some of the information we do get and hopefully write letters to the editor to try to challenge them to say, wait a minute, why did you call her that? Why couldn't you mention the bit about her being threatened earlier in the story? And actually, if you read that in the letter to the editor, it wakes up a lot of people. It helps a lot of people understand the bias that's present. Unfortunately, a lot of it happens on television, too, and they don't really take letters to the editor, but they do listen if you do call them or you email their station if you find a story that's extraordinarily biased in the local news, which is, you know, we we rely on our local news to understand who we are in our communities and what kind of power we might have. So that's, uh, it's an important, it's so important to speak up is, is one thing I just wanted to say while Rita's on the phone because she's somebody that helps us speak up. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Thank you, Anne. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any no. comments to add to that, Rita? Well, I just, I would encourage, you know, me, I would encourage all the readers uh, and listeners to um, check out Women's E-News and use what we do as an example. Say, like, why didn't you cover the story or why is why is your coverage so um, insufficient? <laughs> and here's an example. That's a, that's a good point. Yeah. You know? That's a good point. Yeah, Insuffi- I like that term, insufficient coverage, because, um, you know, like, you know, reporters are human beings, and sometimes when we are criticized, we get our backs up. But um, by saying insufficient, that's not quite the same thing as saying you did a bad job, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, the, yeah. the flies with honey thing, you know? <laughs> and and but, focus, uh, uh, I would also focus on the byline. If you... Uh, the problem I think reporters have is that the only input they receive is from the newsroom, their boss and their colleagues, because so many people don't pay attention to the byline. Without when you talk about re- reporters are people, they are indeed people. And when they do it right, they never hear of it. And if they do it wrong, they probably just hear from their colleagues about a spelling error or they insulted a local whatever. But mm-hmm. to notice the byline and say, so-and-so usually does a great job or so-and-so needs a little more encouragement or whatever, and yeah. copy the reporter. Yeah. Right. And it great can be idea. The same thing. It's the same thing in terms of fashion industry and the images of uh, certain photographers. Uh, it's important, I think, to name those photographers and to say, wait a minute, why is he always showing women flat on their backs, they look like victims, they look like their clothing is torn, they look like they've got a, you know, maybe they do have a knife at their neck or something, you know, and this is yeah. in vogue or this is something. That we that we can encourage editors to say, wait a minute, I'm not, I don't like this, I'm not buying this, I'm not, um, I don't appreciate seeing women as victims who look hurt and abused and that's sexy, that's supposed to be appealing. And, uh there's so many avenues in, within our media that if we did start to use the names and the who who is associated with this and saying, if, and if you do see something you like, to say, yes, I liked this, but I really feel this one needs some, you know, this is a little bit suspect. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, one thing we've done with Media Watch is that we've, we've illustrated how often women are flat on their backs. Uh, often with their, That's their legs even their their legs even open and um, imagery and and just what the world would be like if we were portrayed at least half of the time as dignified people who were contributing to the betterment of our society and that all of a sudden people go whoa okay hey we are deserving <laughs> of respect and so we can you know yeah. and it's kind of like how I also encourage co-ed sports because I think if women are playing alongside men and boys that men and boys will start to say whoa you know she's six foot one she's playing really well she's i i want to learn to throw like her rather than you know saying that she's throwing like a girl and then that's somehow a negative thing that then when they're growing up together they can also have each other's back 
the, they're more likely to intervene in a situation where violence might be happening, and because they have respect for her, because she's she's a good athlete, and um, they're also noticing with the problem of perfection and beauty imagery, as you had mentioned, Heather, in the um, when you're talking about the imagery of of women in the media, that if that is countered with a, a, a woman who is a strong athlete, she can often endure some of this, the toxic media soup that we're living in with these horrible kind of barrage of violent and degrading images of us if she's got some, um, some sports behind her. The, the problems with what they're calling self-objectification and habitual body monitoring where they're constantly worried about how they look that we don't even need now for men to put us into a certain box and say, oh, you're just a sex object. Women do that to themselves. I mean, they're finding that even six-year-olds will uh, say, oh, I want to look like that sexy one. I want to look like that one that's posing, who's got her hip you know, out, and, and she's shimmying when she's doing her little dance, and all these things that uh, we need to, to wake both parents up and those of us who are in the know to say, let you know, let's give her at least some athleticism to help her survive this, and also help try, hopefully, help her learn to deconstruct these messages and to to show how she, uh, you know, that we all need to and deserve a more representative image of who we are as humans. Rita, are you still with us? I am. Oh, good. I wondered, uh, what Anne said made me kind of think, Does how, what policy, how does uh, women's e-news um, encourage reporters or um, do you have an emphasis on um, uh, how to report the news that is not either sexist or um, uh, minimizing women or, you know, I, is there some sort of policy in place with women's e-news? I think that's, uh, wow, that's the first time anyone asked me that question. And so I'll just explain our process. First of all, we don't want to compete with other people. So because <laughs> we're nonprofit and we're small and mighty, so we would not do stories that already people have. And um, But by and large, the freelancers pitch the story, and if it's sexist, like, uh, you know, why why women need to um, stay uh, stay at home, just to use an extreme example. It just doesn't yeah. make it, because that's out there already. There's no way that we need to use our energy to and resources to affirm what's already, you know, well covered, let's just say, right? Or um, I guess something more controversial is abortion rights or access to contraceptive. I can't even believe that access to contraceptive <laughs> uh, is controversial, uh, but it's a story we've been covering since 2000. And um, so if uh, somebody pitches that um, the rhythm method works, well, we happen to believe it's science. And and we are clearly believe in the science of women's health and how important is uh, controlling the size of a woman's family and the number of births and pregnancies are to her well-being as well as the well-being of the family and the community. So that wouldn't fly either. So okay. basically, so basically, you have ourselves. an editorial board that that monitors these these things. Uh, well, absolutely. We, you know, we're daily. We have a meeting yeah. once a week of the whole staff, including the the interns, and we go through the stories that are pitched. And if anybody reads our site, they know that we're not going to. Um, we probably are not going to publish a story about why the rhythm method is best. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay, right. I, was just I, I think about again, that. you know, it's so important to to start to look at the bigger picture, because why would a culture who is supposedly pushing the idea of right to life and this idea that somehow abortion is wrong, why in the world would they be pushing the lack of 
of contraception. It seems like it's just so uh, such a no-brainer in, uh, in the big picture. And that, then you start to think, well, what is it? They just want control of our reproductive system. <laughs> so you think, yeah. well, what does that look like? And then you could, you know, I just think uh, many of us need to kind of step back and look at the big picture. I loved Margaret Atwood's piece on The Handmaid's Tale, which is, uh, a, you know, interestingly a world where that there are breeders and the breeders are um, just for that. That's what they're for. And it's, it, I, I think it's an interesting thing for us to think about is to how do you stop that kind of control and that desire for wanting to control a woman's body? And, and what is that about? Why are we having to live in fear of, of men that came out with this whole hashtag yes on all women? Uh, Twitter feed. It's 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 an interesting thing for us to step back, and I think as we step back, that the change can happen from the bottom up because we are realizing we are all in this together. We have certain inalienable rights as humans. Our human rights are being violated. We need to frame it like that. Call it feminism. Call it whatever you want to call it. But it's our human rights that are being infringed upon. So mm-hmm. how do we demand our right to be human? And how can we constantly help one another and keep each other's uh, well-being in our own mind in order to make that change? That's something I think is uh, so imperative. And it can be difficult sometimes to stand back far enough, you know, because it is a global issue. It's, it's a global issue that uh, we can all learn and grow and help one another together. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. So I, feel, I think I that ha- I say yes, 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 and <laughs> um, <laughs> um, the U.S. has the highest maternal mortality rate in among developed nations, and yet there is a systematic effort to limit our access to birth control and abortion. And that has uh, apparently ex- experiences great popularity, and no attention on the risk, which, by the way, is rising. Our maternal mortality rates is going up. The risk that uh, we have and could uh, reduce dramatically if we paid attention. So, uh, when you talk about constitutional rights. Our life is at stake. What, exactly. You know, on this specific example, with dying while pregnant or as a result of pregnancy, and the bigger example, the ability to work, to support a, a family, to have a life, the life that we you know, intend and shape. Right. Very good point. Very good point. Thank you so much, Rita, for jumping in here. I, I'm looking at the clock, and I can't believe that we're almost out of time for oh, this no. week. Yeah. <laughs> but this has been such an interesting topic to me because, um, you know, not only are we talking about how women are portrayed in words, but images, and, um, you know, I, it, the media is so all-encompassing um, that it's around us all the time, whether we're talking social media, whether we're talking the Internet, whether we're talking billboards or signs or uh, newspapers, magazines. I mean, everywhere you look, you're involved in media, and I think the most important things that I think about is we need to train people. Um, people need to have classes and courses in how to interpret media, how to read and interpret what they see, uh, how to evaluate whether there's something that they um, believe in or don't believe in or whether there's something that's poorly written that uh, is written for a, a nefarious reason, if you will. I really think that media literacy is something that we need to focus on uh, with our young people. Absolutely, um, and I it hope- is a movement. It's part of the curriculum in a lot of the world, and it's something that we do with Media Watch, and it is extraordinarily important that we learn to analyze and deconstruct media images and every single one of them and understand who profits, who's losing, whose voice is being heard, who's not, whose yep. voice we don't hear, and what you know, what's the bigger impact of that. So it is, oh, it's, and on that it's note, an exciting field. I, yeah. 
It is. And on that note, I think we are out of time. I usually thank, thank you, Rita, for jumping in. Thank you so much, Anne, for joining us. And I think this is a topic we should revisit. Bye. Okay. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And I always try to end our show with a quote. And today the quote is about the media. The media is the most powerful entity on earth. They have the power to make the innocent guilty and to make the guilty innocent, and that's power because they control the minds of the masses. And that's from Malcolm X. Thank you so much for joining us for Three Women, Three Ways. Join us again next week. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.